From the corner of Bay and Dundas in downtown Toronto, this is Like Nobody's Business, a podcast of thought leadership and business innovation. I'm your host, Nadine Habib. As the global pandemic continues, more people than ever are turning to all forms of online media for their news. The reliability of that information, especially in the wake of a health crisis, has many top officials and doctors worried. In this episode of Like Nobody's Business, I discuss misinformation in 2020 with Professor Anatoly Gruz. He is the director of the Social Media Lab at the Ted Rogers School of Management and is also the Canada Research Chair in Privacy Preserving Digital Technologies. We talk about why misinformation seems more prevalent now than it has ever been before, how it's impacted the 2020 presidential election, and if misinformation really is spreading faster than the virus itself. Well, hi, Anatoly. Thank you for joining me. Hello, Nadine. So I just want to start off by asking a very simple question, and maybe it's a simple question with a complicated answer, but I feel like This year especially, I have seen and heard and read so much more about misinformation than I have ever before. And, you know, there's reporters now who just cover misinformation specifically, and there's a lot of centers that come out and, you know, they they research misinformation specifically as well. And so my question is, is the spreading of misinformation new? Is it just another word for propaganda? What's your take? Well, to answer your question, let's just kind of step back and talk broadly about what um, people use social media for, and uh, specifically this year, because we really have seen uptake in social media use and users uh, around uh, the when officially pandemic uh, started in March and official lockdown orders began. We really saw more and more people uh, using social media websites to connect with friends family members, co-workers, to get news about COVID and also other you know, information that they need to, to keep going and not to feel uh, socially isolated. Um, and so this, uh, for example, uh, chart here shows you the number of messages uh, that related to COVID that people posted publicly on Facebook and the number of interactions they had. And you can see there are nearly 20 billion interactions since uh, the beginning of the pandemic related to COVID. And this is just counting the public uh, social media posts uh, on Facebook. Uh, similar trends were observed here in Canada, and also similar trends were observed in terms of the uptake in social media use and users across other social media platforms. And it, it, it is kind of understandable because once we are all uh, kind of locked down and at home, uh, social media emerged as a, as a place for people to, to socialize. But, of course, um, the increase in reliance on social media is not without its problem. And we know from previous research and other instances, not just COVID, that social media is well established as a vector for the spreading all kinds of misinformation, including misinformation about the pandemic. Um, and so this brings us to this notion of infodemic. Essentially, this year, uh, and perhaps this is what... Uh, you know, you and others experience in the mainstream media and elsewhere, essentially we experience an avalanche of both misinformation and credible information about the pandemic. And that contributes, of course, to our confusion, what is right, what is not. It can, but it also can undermine the work of public health officials. It can put 
us and frontline workers at risk of contracting or spreading misinformation uh, and can actually subject us to becoming victims of identity thefts and data breaches, so not just a health-related danger. Um, so essentially, I think the con combination of both the availability of information about the, the virus and the pandemic and the fact that we're always learning something new about the, the virus, plus uh, the fact that there are also bad actors who contribute knowingly or unknowingly to the spread of misinformation, misleading information, uh, makes, uh, makes us feel and perceive more, that it's more of it this year than usual. Right, right. Um, it kind of leads into my second question, which is that Dr. Teresa Tam, who's Canada's chief public health doctor, has said that the spreading of fake news and misinformation is spreading at a, at a faster rate than the virus is, which is a pretty big statement. Um, so do you agree with that? Um, if so, why is that happening? And is there any key things that you found really alarming when it comes to misinformation uh, regarding the pandemic? So when we talk about uh, spread of uh, information and information on social media, we need to keep in mind that social media platforms were designed to spread information as, as quickly as possible to as many people as possible. So as a result, the same features that are used uh, by celebrities and other influential social media users to, to reach their audiences also being used to spread misinformation. So it, it does make sense when somebody will say that, well, misinformation spreads just as quickly or even maybe faster than the actual pandemic in, in that way that essentially if you put a false or misleading content online, it can go viral. It doesn't necessarily mean it, it would. And uh, a lot of the efforts over the past few months were put, in, uh, you know, put by platforms as well as public health officials to kind of combat uh, to, to fight misinformation related to COVID. And it's interesting because I know that, I know that, you and other fellow researchers at the social media lab at Ryerson have been um, looking at misinformation when it came to the 2016 presidential election. And so I know that you guys have looked at that extensively and looked at how foreign operatives actually influenced the election and how fast um, it took place across social media, people picking up on the misinformation and sharing it. What have you seen that's different when it comes to the 2020 election, if anything has changed at all? So I think a lot uh, has changed since 2016. And this is uh, when we learned that social media can be weaponized and was weaponized by foreign entities to influence uh, uh, election outcomes or people intentions of people, how they vote, uh, specifically during the 2016 US uh, presidential, uh, presidential election and 2016 Brexit referendum. Uh, during that time, uh, a lot of the interference uh, by foreign actors was in the form of creating an account on social media, multiple accounts, uh, and using automated scripts to spread certain type of information or misinformation that supports um, the candidates, the candidates they want to win, uh, or just generally to raise the unrest level in it. A particular country like in the US. Uh, what we see in this time around that it's a lot of misinformation uh, and misleading content being spread by um, homegrown 
groups. So essentially people who are within the country, either we're talking about Canada or, or the States, uh, there's enough uh, of partisanship in the US that you have people on the extreme left and extreme right uh, side of the political spectrum who are ready and willing to share all kinds of content that would support their candidate or their, their party. So essentially what the, we're observing perhaps uh, not to say that there might not be foreign interference in terms of social media engagement uh, about the election, but there's enough of the homegrown, um, shall we say, talent on social media who would already uh, pick, pick up and spread those false, uh, false claims and false misinformation. And that, of course, creates challenges for platforms like Twitter and like Facebook in terms of, uh, you know, do you fact check? Do you label and flag all the messages that are not factually correct uh, on their platforms? Do you block them? Do you suspend users? So those are real challenges that platforms like Facebook and Twitter are facing right now. That's fine. That leads into my next question, which is on social media giants. And are they doing enough? Because, you know, Twitter will flag a post that President Trump has tweeted and then Facebook won't do the same. So Facebook will get some backlash. It's, it's hard to know. Are they doing enough? And I think uh, platforms, uh, they are taking cues from policymakers as well as the public. Uh, and if they feel enough pressure, they then engaged in uh, kind of image management, but also implementation of features that uh, really um, trying to slow down the spread of uh, mis misinformation. And uh, the, we've seen a number of attempts, platforms, uh, social media platforms, uh, ahead to, to combat misinformation from uh, making links available to credible sources. Let's say you go to Twitter and you look for messages related to COVID-19 or same with Facebook or YouTube. And right away on top of your screen, screen you will see a link to a credible um, a link to the public health agency in Canada, let's say, uh, where you can find all the information. Of course, we don't know if that the link that will lead you to credible source, whether people will actually follow it how useful it is, but it does show that it is an attempt uh, by platforms to at least offer, uh, you know, cross-validation to link to credible sources every time somebody wants to learn about election results in the U.S. right now or, uh, you know, pandemic in, in, in general in a particular country. So that's just one feature that we've seen was uh, introduced by most of the platforms right now. Again, we don't know if it's effective or will be effective. Uh, time will tell. Other features essentially is to uh, platforms uh, trying to implement is to work with fact-checking organization. And so in one of the projects that we're currently doing with World Health Organization, we uh, kind of trying to understand this uh, ecosystem of fact-checking organizations who are truly digital frontline workers uh, against uh, in the fight against COVID-related misinformation. And so these are the organizations, many of them non-profit, some of them are uh, affiliated with the uh, media organizations. Uh, so they are essentially constantly keeping an eye on uh, false and misleading claims about the COVID. And they're putting out information about why certain claims are not credible uh, and uh, linking people to credible sources. So social media platforms can trying to kind of provide uh, support uh, to, to different fact-checking organizations. So, so that was a positive, positive sign overall. What uh, the most challenging part for platforms is, of course, if uh, misleading or false information is being spread by 
are politicians uh, or uh, other elect, you know, elected officials, um, presidents, prim, uh, you know, prime ministers of the world. And so that creates a lot of challenges because now you have somebody in power, uh, like President Trump, who is saying something that platform may label as misleading or uh, upright false. And if the platform uh, trying to uh, block or label that message, the person in power can actually, um, you know, essentially hurt them uh, going forward by um, certain, you know, putting in place certain legislation that make the work uh, platform much, much harder the way it is. So essentially, uh, there are multiple fronts that platforms are confronting, uh, whether they're doing enough, uh, time will tell, but uh, certainly we're still seeing misinformation out there, whether we're talking about COVID-related misinformation or uh, politically motivated misinformation, uh, we kind of have to learn to live with it. And just like we're learning to live with the virus right now, COVID virus, uh, and we're learning to develop uh, our hygiene practices and wearing, the, you know, wearing masks and perhaps not aggregating, not uh, staying inside the, the public spaces for too long. Same thing, we have to develop similar practices for digital hygiene. Uh, shall we say. So essentially every time you encounter a piece of information, whether it's about politics or about uh, the pandemic, uh, good practice would be to go to trusted sources to validate. It's somebody who you trust, uh, such as CBC uh, or other mainstream news channels or public health authorities uh, actually confirm what, what was said in that post. And so unless you confirm it, uh, don't rush to repost it and we share a certain content, especially if it's uh, you know, sensational in, in nature. If we go back to misinformation regarding COVID, was that homegrown misinformation, as you were saying, people who you know, were skeptical and kind of spreading that misinformation? Does it come from outside? How does it usually start? Well, there are many, uh, many kind of channels of uh, information, misinformation about COVID and many actors who spread it. To kind of highlight some of it, I want to take you to a project we're currently doing where we're examining all different uh, fact-check claims about COVID that fact-checking organizations around the world capture. And what we, by manually reviewing those claims, we can categorize them in different, uh, into different topics. And that will tell you, you know, who's spreading it potentially, what was the motivation for spreading it, and how to combat them, uh, how to fight against them. So uh, we have identify 11 common types of COVID-related false claims. Uh, the most common uh, type is related to, um, claims related to a particular country, you know, like, like Canada. They may be claims about the number of cases, uh, the number of deaths. Uh, there could be claims about what our uh, public uh, officials said about uh, the virus. And so, so that's, of course, the largest category. That would be... Um, a responsibility of the you know public uh, health authorities in a particular country to try to educate people and inform them about the uh, proper statistics what's happening in the country but then you see the second largest category is about diagnostics prevention and cures and th that one includes claims about uh, you know what potentially uh, whether or not there's something can cure um, coronavirus uh, or claims around uh, safety of future 
COVID-19 vaccine. And those claims can circulate around the world. They are not specific to a particular country, and they're often picked up by people in different countries, depending on uh, whether or not there's a spike in cases, so whether or not people are actually concerned about and trying to pay more attention to, to this type of uh, claims. And then you have the third group is about you know, speculating on the uh, virus origin or various conspiracy theories from um, the conspiracy theory that supposedly 5G technology somehow linked to the uh, to the cases, the spread of uh, COVID-19 around the world, which is not uh, true. Or- I remember that was, a, that was a misconception early on during the pandemic. That along Indeed. with the yes. <laughs> well, in fact, some of them are circulating and coming back. Really? Uh, they may be changing, the people who share them may change language. So if uh, you saw it in, in English or French in Canada, somebody in Chile or Brazil, uh, you know, Spain, then translating those claims in their own language and reusing some of the same fake pictures uh, that might be representing whatever they're trying to say in their own context. So as if it's something new. Uh, and so, so that's why by examining what's been circulated before, it will give people an idea what to potentially expect uh, going forward. But there are, as you can see, many different types, and behind each type, uh, uh, different potential, different stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And do you find that as people become more aware of this, as the pandemic goes on, we'll be better equipped to recognize recognize it going forward? What are your expectations, I guess, for you know when the vaccine rolls around? And I'm sure that's going to be a whole other slew of you know conspiracy theories and you know a lot of misinformation going around with that. Uh, this is our hope. Uh, you know, we have a team of uh, social science uh, uh, researchers, uh, uh, computational researchers in the social media lab, and we all hope that yes, by and looking at a number of examples of types of false claims that are currently circulating, people will, what we call, inoculate themselves against future misinformation. But of course, that doesn't prevent people from being tricked uh, from new types of uh, false claims. And you mentioned, you know, future vaccine. So hopefully we will have one that is effective. But already you can see there's a group of anti-vaccination communities on the internet are well organized and they already you know questioning the safety of a future COVID-19 vaccine and so you can see that group is very very organized and very motivated uh, so messages ranges uh, from you know supposedly there's a conspiracy theory that this future vaccine is to control the population some uh, false claims uh, in this area we talk about how then they will be supposedly microchip built into the vaccine so everybody who will get the vaccine will be microchipped and controlled and tracked in the future um Sounds so you like can a see the white movie <laughs> indeed and there are people who uh, honestly believe it or use it to scare people um there are certainly you know legitimate concerns about the safety of future vaccine and we've seen some countries trying to rush the process of the testing of COVID-19 vaccine. So there are legitimate concerns, but in between you also see those extreme points. And that's why there's so uh, such a big importance for, um, for public health authorities to reach out to people through different channels, uh, not just social media, uh, but different channels to tell them what it is what's happening, what to expect in terms of the timeline, in terms of um, 
uh, how effective they think the vaccine is going to be and so Well, thank you so much, Anatoly. That was very informative. Appreciate it. Great chatting with you. Like Nobody's Business is a presentation of Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Management. For more information about TRSM, visit ryerson.ca forward slash Ted Rogers School. Thank you for listening.